the old Greeks used to say you never step into the same river twice and, and that's, that's true because things move on, they change and just looking out on this congregation even though it's a long weekend that's the truth that God has blessed and prospered and so many faces that, that we are yet to get to know uh, because this is the goodness of God um, I'm pleased that Norm gave the introduction he did to the book of Proverbs uh, when I was at school there was only one way of measuring smartness and that was academically and when uh, the teachers were testing us they wanted to know how smart we were in math and language arts and that sort of stuff um, but they don't ask that question anymore the question is no longer how smart are you, but how are you smart? And the inference is that everybody is gifted in some way or other. It's just discovering what that gift is and, and being able to flow in it. And the book of Proverbs uh, takes a leaf out of that book because it offers us wisdom, how to be smart in a whole bunch of areas, how to be smart as a neighbor, how to be smart as a godly young person how to be smart uh, at work and also how to be smart with our finance and that's what we're going to look at this morning let me begin though with a, a story it may be familiar to you but it, oh, I always get a kick out of it a cell phone rings a guy grabs it and puts it to his ears at the other end a woman's voice says hello honey are you at the gym Sure am, sweetie. I just finished my workout. She says, I saw a fabulous coat. It's the only one left, and it's a cinch at $1,500. Can I buy it? Well, go ahead if you really like it. Now, sweetie, I know you've been looking for a new car, so I went past the Mercedes showroom, and I saw the 2019 models are out already. Top of the line begins at $150,000. What do you think we should do? Snap it up. But make sure they throw in all the options for that sort of money. Now, just one last thing, she says. The realtor called and said that the house that we'd set our hearts on was sold right out from under us. But there is another one. Only trouble is, it's $50,000 beyond our limit. What should we do? Pay them. We sure don't want to lose out again, do we? Well, the phone call ends, the guy makes kissing sounds, ends the call, and sits back. Finally, he looks around at his buddies and says, Does anybody know whose cell phone this is? <laughs> the guy who left it sure is in for some big surprises. <laughs> it's easy to know what to do with somebody else's money. But it might be a little bit more challenging to know what to do with our own. Which is why we are zeroing in today in our series on street smarts uh, at a look at what Proverbs says about money. And straight away we are into an area that's divided the church. You know, a whole section of the church really measure their spirituality by how big their bank balance is or the type and year of the vehicle on their driveway or in their garage. That's the gospel of prosperity. Others, on the other hand, 
measure their spirituality by how little they have. For them, money is filthy lucre, the root of all evil, worldly mammon. That's the gospel of austerity. So you've got prosperity and you've got austerity. And these two polar opposites are found in the same church of Jesus Christ. But the truth is that money is actually neutral. It's neither good nor bad. What matters is our attitude towards it and how we use and steward it. And so to help us do that, God has given us some very clear, very practical and very precise instructions in the Bible. Did you know that the Bible contains 2,300 verses on the subject of money? That's roughly twice as much teaching as there is on faith and prayer combined. 15% of everything Jesus said has to do with money. That's one word in seven. There are 38 recorded parables. 16 of them teach us about our money, our possessions, and our stuff. That's 42%. The Bible says more about money than it does about heaven, hell, evangelism, or compassion. The only other subject that Jesus spoke more of was the kingdom of God. And so, the book of Proverbs, which really is the Bible in microcosm, is a great place to begin to uh, dip and delve to find out what God expects of us in this very important area. And I want to go there this morning and just pull out three lessons. I know there are more that we could say, but I just want to focus on three things. Now, although the book of Proverbs was written three millennia ago, and although it was written for Jews in the Middle East, it's very relevant in the 21st century for you and me right here in North America. And we'll discover that as we go through what we want to look at this morning. So, are you ready? Let's fasten our seatbelts then, shall we? Uh, I don't know if this subject was publicized, but if it wasn't, I think the Holy Spirit's really pulled a flanker on us. You know, n nobody loves to come to church to do a Bible study on how to use their money because very often there's manipulation in that and usually the church has its tail in the crack and, and, and you know, they, they, there's a, an ulterior motive. My motive this morning is simply to tell you what this part of Scripture says about how we should be smart financially. Here's lesson number one. Establish right priorities. Establish right priorities. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says this. In fact, why don't we read it together up there? Proverbs 3 9. Are you ready? Honor the Lord... Let's, let's, let's read it together, shall we? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The lesson here is give to God. Now Solomon gets very specific. 
just right inside that verse. 31 words in there, but there's three truths hidden in that simple verse. And here's the first truth. Give to God the first fruits, not the leftovers. Do you see that? The end of that first line, it says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Now, typically, what we do when we get our paycheck, twice a month, the end of the month, end of the week, whichever it is, is that we pay our mortgage, pay our bills, put into savings, put away for a vacation, and then we see what we can give to God out of what's left. But in this verse, Solomon tells us to reverse the order. He tells us to give to God first, not last. Honor the Lord with your first fruits. Before we pay the mortgage, before we settle our hydro bill, before we see to our cell phone costs, before we make a car payment, give to God. Let his portion be the primary thing. Let his dues be the first thing that comes off our paycheck. If we're going to miss out on anything, let it be that night out. Let it be that concert ticket. Let it be the Jets game, but not God's portion. Give to God the first fruits. Right off the top, before anything else. Max Lucado has a gift for putting truth very simply. And he tells us that there are four habits that a Christian should work at on their pathway to maturity. The habit of praying. The habit of Bible study. That's regular daily devotions. The habit of fellowship. That's coming to church regularly. And the habit of giving. The habit of giving. Because giving, like nothing else, is the thermometer that most accurately measures our spiritual temperature. We can fake lots of things. We can fake coming to church. We can even fake reading our Bible. We can look as though we're reading it. But when it comes to giving, that's harder to fake. There's a second truth in that verse. And it's this. That giving is an act of worship. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. When we give to God the best and not the least, the first and not the last, we are saying to him, Lord, you are my most important priority. You are the one that I'm going to honor before anything else. You are more precious to me than my house. You're more precious to me than my car. You're more precious to me than that dream vacation. You're more precious to me than a great portfolio of investments. And so I'm going to, I'm not just going to give you, give to you. I'm going to worship you with this check. A number of years ago, Ron and I were ministering to an old saint as part of our congregation. 
He was in the St. Boniface Hospital. He was being investigated for cancer. Turned out that he was very sick and actually went to be with the Lord shortly afterwards. But I'll never forget sitting there by his bedside. And, and we were reading to him out of Deverne Fromke's book to try and sort of focus his mind heavenwards. And then suddenly he became very agitated. And he started sort of looking around and turning things over on his night table. He opened the drawer and eventually he found what he was looking for. And it was his tithe envelope. And he gave it to me and he said, will you put that into the offering? And I felt like I was on holy ground. That here was this dear saint that... He was days from eternity. His mind could have been on his diagnosis or his prognosis or it could have been on any one of a hundred other things that he had to set in order. But the thing he wanted to do more than anything else was to worship the Lord. In fact, I, took a I asked him if I could take a photocopy. And uh, I mean, there it is, 1991. It's a long time ago, but it's never left me. It's a great example of someone who had this revelation of worshipping God with their giving. But you know what? There's a, there's a, let's go back to the verse there. Uh, there's a... That's right, good. But there's a third truth here. Look at the end verse there. Give honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. Poetic language. But what it's saying is this. When we give to God, God gives to us. Did you notice that hinge word there? Then your barns will be filled to plenty. You see, we want God to bless us but God blesses us most when we fulfill our responsibility to him. When we honor him with our stuff. In fact, the New Testament version of this verse is in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. And it says this, Give and it shall be given you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. There's a five-fold promise there. But there's a condition. You see, we, we, we want God to give to us, press down, shake, good measure, press down, shake together, etc. But it says that happens when we give. Because when we give, that brings God's mathematics into our finances. Now, God won't make us a millionaire, necessarily. But... He will look after our needs. As Norm said, Val and I have been in northern Manitoba for just about the last two years. Working with the Park Christian Fellowship. And uh, helping strengthen their foundations. We felt that was our mandate to go there with. And one of the foundation stones in any church is the foundation stone of giving. And how we gave up in the park was not the best. Because what would happen at offering times is that the 
ushers would sort of shuffle forward, nothing would be said, they'd shuffle forward, they'd get the plates, and they'd nonchalantly pass the plates round, and, and people would participate, and then they'd drift to the front and sort of stick the plate on the, you know, steps, and, and off they would go. And one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, what you're doing isn't good. Uh, You're making the offering part of the administration, not part of the worship. And so we made some changes. First of all, I preached on giving and I connected it with worship. That this was a way of worshipping God. And then we started to make a feature of the offering, not to manipulate people, but just to help them understand that this was part of worship. And we announced the offering. We warned them, you know, the ushers are going to come in a few minutes, so why don't we get ready? And then the ushers went, and they passed the plate, and then they waited at the back. And when everything was finished, we stopped the singing. They processed forward. We prayed over the offering, we prayed a blessing on people who participated, and we received it and offered it back to God. Do you know what the result of that was? A 50% increase in the giving in the church from the day we arrived to the day we left. And we can point to that very weekend when we made that decision to feature the offering And to make it part of worship. So, that's our first lesson. Set right priorities. It's almost a sermon in itself. But actually, there's more. Here's the second lesson. After you've set right priorities by giving... By giving to God. The next... Thing, the next lesson is practice generosity. Practice generosity. A few years ago, one of our kids, and I'm not going to tell you which one, <laughs> said to me, Dad, can I borrow two toonies until payday? They were doing paper rounds. All our kids did paper rounds. So. And so I loaned them two toonies. Payday came, and I said, uh, Where's my two toonies? So this child gave me one back. And I said, well, I I gave you two. Where's where's the other one? And they said, oh, we put it in the offering. (laughs) I said, well, that's very, very generous of you with with my toonie. I said, didn't you have money of your own? Oh, yeah, I had money. (laughs) But I needed that for gum for school. (laughs) I thought, wow, you, you character... And and it struck me that generosity is something we need to learn. And that's why the book of Proverbs features it. Here are some verses about generosity. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others, that means give to them, will themselves be refreshed. Whoever has a bountiful eye, Whoever notices need and meets it will be blessed. Do not withhold good when it's in your power to do it. The theme of this book, when you look at it from a financial point of view, 
It's give, 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 and give. Learn how to be generous and practice it often. Now, maybe a reluctance in people about being generous is because they fear that they won't have enough for themselves. I think that's fairly legitimate. But actually, the book of Proverbs deals with that. Listen to this. Proverbs 11, verse 25. One person gives freely, that's being generous, yet gains even more. Hmm. Another withholds what they're supposed to give, but comes to poverty. Now, isn't that an interesting truth? That when we practice generosity... God sees to it that what's left stretches. Equally, if we hold on to something, if we hoard something, there's a different dynamic that goes on and we always end up being in need. As I said a minute ago, generosity brings God's finance to bear in our financial dealings. I guess the central issue is Who owns who? Do we own our money? Or does our money own us? One of the indicators that we've got that right is how free we are to spend it and how free we are to give it. Now, the truth be told, this has been a real growing edge for me personally. I grew up in in a part of England, the county of Yorkshire, where the people are infamous for being tight ones. Boy, if, if they, they know ways of cutting corners and saving money and looking after themselves. And you know what? That was inbred into me. And one of the things that, that I, I didn't like doing was spending money. Now, let me tell you a story. This is the honest truth. A number of years ago, my jacket wore out. And I needed a new jacket. So I went to the tailors, and <laughs> wouldn't you know, it cost between three and $400 for one item of clothing. So I said to Val, I'm not paying that. No, she she's doesn't, didn't have that problem. She said, come on, just, just pay it. No, no, there's a different way of doing this. So off I went to Velu Village, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that select boutique where things are a little more reasonably priced. And I got two jackets for under 10 bucks. Well, I was thrilled. In fact, I was so thrilled, I decided to wear the nice woolen blue one the next day when I preached at Pallet Road. And our kids were just beside themselves with embarrassment. They said, Dad, if you wear that, we're not even sitting with you in church. We're going to sit somewhere. Might even go to another congregation. I said, oh, come on, you guys. What do you know anyway? You don't know the thing about this managing money. So I wore my jacket. True enough, it was a, felt a little bit awkward. It was a bit funny in the back. And one sleeve was a bit shorter than the other. But, you know, if you like that, nobody will notice. And, and I thought, well, with all I've saved, the next day I can go to the tailor. I can get this thing altered. And, hey, you know, tickety-boo, we'll be okay. So I preached in my jacket. Next day, I went to Moore's to get it altered and put it on. And 
the guy looked at me and he said, uh, uh, we've got a problem here, sir. Where did you get this jacket? Well, now, I, <laughs> now I'm, I'm sort of, you know, a bit defensive. He said, did you realize this jacket was custom made for a hunchback? And, and, and this pouch here in the back, I told you it was felt a bit funny in the back. He said, that's where his hump went. And, and you, you know, that hump made one arm shorter than the other. And that's why this arm. Sh-. He said, you can't wear this jacket and ever look normal. And I'd preached in it the day before. <laughs> Let's turn together. <laughs> I learned some lessons that day. And one of the lessons God started to underscore for me was don't be tight with your resources it doesn't do you any good now the breakthrough came when um, I was reading John's gospel and I was reading John chapter 3 and you know verse 16 most famous verse of scripture uh, For God so loved the world that he gave, and I didn't get any further. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you have a problem. If God's a giver, and if his spirit is in you, you need to learn to be a giver too. You need to learn how to be generous. And that means not necessarily going to the thrift store. Now, you know what? Listen, if, if, I'm not gonna, if you shop at Value Village, that's, that might be God's provision for you. But if you go because you have a problem like I had, then it's not going to be God's provision for you. It's going to be God's training ground for you. Listen to what Rick Warren says. The only way money can make you happy is if you share it. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Let me say that again. That's a profound statement. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Now, this man practices what he preaches. When he became independently wealthy through the royalties from his books, he gave back 25 years' salary to the church that had paid him. And then he practiced reverse tithing. He kept 10% and gave away 90%. Let me read it again. The only way money can bring you happiness is if you share it. You make a living by what you get, but a life by what you give. And the book of Proverbs tells us that there's one group of people in particular that we single out to be generous to, and they're the poor. Whoever is generous to the poor, Proverbs 19, 17 says, lends to the Lord. And he will repay his deed. Whoever is bountiful, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. 
We read that a minute ago. For he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 22 verse 9. You know, sometimes generosity doesn't involve a lot of finance. But it does involve a lot of heart. Let me tell you about... um, Carl and Andrea Jake, a couple in the Panet Road congregation. Uh, some of us know them. A number of years ago, Carl and Andrea uh, took in a very special lodger into their house. Uh, his name was Mike, and he had AIDS. And this was the time when AIDS was just, you know, really taking off, and AIDS patients were pariahs. You know, you gave them a wide berth in case you, you know, you caught something, you never shook hands, you... In fact, Andrea said that every time, whatever Mike touched, she'd follow with Javex and start squirting it and, 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 and sort of rubbing, rubbing the surface, rubbing the germs off. And then God spoke to her and said, will you relax? Just love the guy. So they took him out to a restaurant and they, they bought him the biggest burger he'd ever had in his life. It was his birthday. And then, because he knew he was dying, they said to him, listen, if you think this is good, you wait while you get to heaven. You're going to be with a banquet, in a banquet with Jesus, and this this is just going to be like the order. Shortly after that, he took a turn for the worse, ended up in hospital, and Carl and Andrea went to see him. And and they were very upfront with him. He knew he was going to go to be with the Lord. And so they said, is there anything we can do for you before you go to be with Jesus? This is what he said. He said, you know what? I've never had a hug in my life. He said to Carl, would you give me a father's hug? So Carl went to his bed, he pulled back the bed clothes and he scooped his emaciated bony body out of the bed and he sat him on his lap and he threw his arms round him and he hugged him he gave to the poor it wasn't a lot of money but it sure was a precious gift and Mike some just some days later went to be with Jesus but he went having tasted of the generosity of some of God's people. I wonder if God's speaking to anybody. Set right priorities. Learn how to be generous. And thirdly and finally, beware two traps. Here they are, and the book of Proverbs deals with them both. The first is laziness, and the second is greed. Two opposites, but equally unhelpful attitudes that affect how we deal with our money. First of all, laziness. Of course, nobody in this room can uh, identify with that. This, this, This is for unsafe people. This is for people out there. But the book of Proverbs actually deals with laziness in quite a bit of detail. Um, It does it under the guise of the sluggard. Talks about the sluggard. In fact, there are 14 references in the book of Proverbs to the sluggard. I'm sure you've met or heard about 
the sluggard. It's the man or woman who plans big but delivers small. They have great dreams but they never come to anything. The sluggard is the person that can't get out of bed in the morning to get up and get on. And the sluggard is the man or woman who makes excuses to justify their laziness. In fact, Proverbs gives us a few of the excuses. This is one of them. I can't go to work today in case I get eaten by a lion. I mean, somebody defined an excuse, the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And, and, and if that's not an excuse... Can't go to work today in case I get eaten by a lion. Well, I don't know what is. Listen to what Proverbs says about industry. How it speaks against laziness. Lazy hands make a poor man, or make a man poor, but diligent hands bring him wealth. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Whoever works with his hand will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. There's a connection, Proverbs says, between having money and working hard. In fact, work is, is, is a Christian doctrine because it reflects the character and nature of God. Jesus says, my father is always working. And it also reflects the reason why God created man. Because he put Adam in the garden to work it and to guard it. The other trap, greed. Now that's a killer. Listen to what Proverbs says about it. A greedy man brings ruin to his household. A greedy man stirs up dissension but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Do you know what the antidote to greed is? Contentment. Proverbs deals with this. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Better is little. With the fear of the Lord. That's contentment. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from a love of money and be content. Paul tells Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Somebody once asked uh, 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 Howard Hughes, how he was a billionaire. How much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. In other words, you're never content. How can the writer to Proverbs and the Apostle Paul talk about contentment? Let me let you into a little secret. They can do that because they've found a greater treasure than financial prosperity. Let me read you a verse from Proverbs 8. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. That means knowing God. And the one who gets understanding. That means obeying God. For the gain from this is better than gain from silver. And her profit better than gold. And more precious than jewels. There's a spiritual treasure that we can aim for. And the New Testament says that treasure is Jesus Christ and it's worth paying everything for. He is the pearl of greatest price. It will cost us all that we have, but it will fulfill our hearts like nothing else on earth. So, what's the application to all this? Well, first of all, Maybe there are people here who don't own that treasure, that spiritual treasure. And so you are scrambling for the other stuff. And the first application of this message is that you can have Jesus Christ as the treasure of your life. You can do that this morning, right in your seat. In a minute, I think Norm's going to come. He's going to close the meeting. But he's going to pray a prayer that you can follow and you can possess that treasure. But it will cost you everything as a follower of Christ. But secondly, I think there's a couple of more applications that we can make. And I'm going to emphasize them with questions. Have we set right priorities? Do we give to God first? Or do we give him the leftovers? Do we give him first or last? First fruits or leftovers? Because I believe that some of us are suffering financially because we are closing God's mathematics out of our financial dealings by not honoring him and worshipping him as we should with our finance. And the second, which is actually the third point of application, is, is this. Maybe some of you are like me. You find it hard to be generous. I believe God wants to set you free. Thankfully, he's liberating me from that trap. I, I'm learning a different way of behaving financially and I believe he wants to do the same with you and if you want prayer on that we'd love to pray for you so three points of application you can have the trick the greatest treasure of all in Jesus Christ are you have you set right priorities and do you want to be generous we can pray for you to get rid of those dynamics that will stop you this is how we can be street smart with our finances according to the book of Proverbs. God bless you.